word of exhortation tonight. His subject, Godliness that edifies, and he's asked us to read Colossians chapter 1, 1 verse, verse 10. Colossians chapter 1, verse 10. That ye might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. Let's give our attention to Brother Ernie Glass. Brothers, sisters, and friends, are you familiar with the term uh, mighty thankful? It's synonymous with uh, powerfully uh, thankful. It's someone who's really, really, really thankful. And if you want an Arkansas Ernie Glass definition, it's uh, someone who's a whole lot thankful. And I'd just like to say for myself and my sister wife, Gail, that we are we're mighty thankful to be at the Kentucky Bible School. And we bring the uh, greetings and the love of all the brothers and sisters in Arkansas to you. Um, Brother Ray Morgan stepped up to me a while ago and he said, Ernie, I want you to know that you see this cup right here? <laughs> he said, Ernie, <laughs> I want you to know I brought you a cup of fresh water. But he didn't know that I watched him when he walked in here. <laughs> he walked in here like that. <laughs> and you know what he asked me? Hmm? He asked me, he said, Ernie, is your talk going to be very long tonight? <laughs> <laughs> and I said, yes, brother, right it is. And I said, if, if you get thirsty, you just step up here and drink this cup of water. <laughs> <laughs> this is going to be a pretty long talk for me tonight. <laughs> I usually don't make long talks, but I am tonight. <laughs> A parable is a form of speech which by means of a fictitious narration taken from matters of ordinary life represents truths which are less known or of a moral nature. And I'm going to read you a parable tonight. And I want you to keep this in your mind. It's not from the Bible. It's not from the Bible. <clears throat> but the reading of it caused some thinking on my part that was of great benefit to me. The terribly tragically sad man the terribly tragically sad man once there was a boy <clears throat> who lived in a big house on a hill he loved dogs and horses and 
sports cars and music. He climbed trees. He went swimming. He played football. And he admired pretty girls. Except for having to pick up after himself, he had a nice life. One day the boy said to God, I've been thinking and I know what I want. Did you catch that? He said, I know what I want when I become a man. What? Asked God. I want to live in a big house with a porch across the front and two St. Bernards in a garden out back. I want to marry a woman who is tall and very beautiful and kind. K-I-N-D. Kind. Who has long black hair and blue eyes and who plays the guitar and sings in a clear high voice. Now like I said, this is not from the Bible and the Christadelphian didn't write it either. I want three strong sons to play football with. And when they grow up, one will be a great scientist. One will be a senator. And the youngest will quarterback for the 49ers. I want to be an adventurer who sails vast oceans and climbs tall mountains and rescues people. And I want to drive a red Ferrari and never have to pick up after myself. That sounds like a nice dream, said God. Now keep this in your mind. This is God speaking. I want you to be happy. I want you to be happy. One day, playing football, the boy hurt his knee. After that, he couldn't climb tall mountains or even tall trees, much less sail vast oceans. So he studied marketing and started a medical supplies business. He married a girl who was very beautiful and very kind, K-I-N-D, kind, and who had long black hair. But she was short, not tall, <laughs> and had brown eyes, not blue. She couldn't play the guitar or even sing. But she prepared wonderful meals and painted magnificent pictures of birds. Because of his business, he lived in a city near the top of a tall apartment building that overlooked the blue ocean and the city's twinkling lights. He didn't have room for two St. Bernards, but he had a fluffy cat, a fluffy cat. 
He had three daughters, and all were very beautiful. The youngest, who was in a wheelchair, was the loveliest. The three daughters loved their father very much. They didn't play football with him, but sometimes they went to the park and tossed a frisbee, except for the youngest, who sat under a tree, strumming her guitar and singing lovely, haunting songs. He made enough money to live comfortably, but he didn't have a red Ferrari. And sometimes he had to pick up things and put them away, even things that didn't belong to him. After all, he had three daughters. <laughs> <laughs> Then one morning, the man awoke, and he remembered his dream. I am very sad, he said to his best friend. Why? asked his friend. Because I once dreamed of marrying a tall woman with black hair and blue eyes who would play the guitar and sing. My wife can't play the guitar or sing. She has brown eyes, and she's not tall. And his friend said, Your wife is beautiful and very kind. K-I-N-D, kind. She creates splendid food. Excuse me, I read that wrong. I've got to do this over. She creates splendid pictures of magnificent birds and delectable food. But the man wasn't listening. The man wasn't listening. I am very sad, the man confessed to his wife one day. Why? asked his wife. Because I once dreamed of living in a big house with a porch and having two St. Bernards and a garden out back. Instead, I live in an apartment on the 47th floor. And his wife said, Our apartment is comfortable, and we can see the ocean from our couch. And listen to this. We have love and laughter, the paintings of magnificent birds, and a fluffy cat not to mention three beautiful children. But the man wasn't listening. The man wasn't listening. I am very sad, the man said to his therapist. Why, asked the therapist. Because I once dreamed that I would grow up to be a great adventurer. Instead, I'm a bald businessman with a bad knee. The medical supplies you sell have saved many lives, said the therapist. Has saved many lives. But the man wasn't listening. The man wasn't listening. So his therapist charged him $110 and sent him home. I am very sad, the man said to his accountant. Why, asked the accountant, 
because I once dreamed of driving a red Ferrari and never having to pick up after myself. Instead, I take public transportation and sometimes I still have to clean up. You wear good suits. You eat at fine restaurants. And you've toured Europe, said his countenance. The man wasn't listening. The man wasn't listening. His accountant charged him $100 anyway. He was dreaming of a red Ferrari himself. <laughs> and like I said, this is not written by, by Christadelphian. I am very sad, the man said to his minister. Why? asked the minister. Because I once dreamed of having three sons, a great scientist, a politician, and a quarterback. Instead, I have three daughters, and the youngest can't even walk. But your daughters are beautiful, and they're intelligent, said the minister. They love you very much, and they've all done well. One is a nurse, another is an artist, and the youngest teaches music to children. The man wasn't listening. The man wasn't listening. He was so sad that he became very sick. He lay in a white hospital room surrounded by nurses in white uniforms. Tubes and wires connected his body to blinking machines that he had once sold to the hospital. He was in the medical supply business. He was terribly, tragically sad. His family, friends, and minister gathered around his bed. They were all deeply sad too. Then one night, when everyone except the nurses had gone home, the man said to God, Remember when I was a boy and I told you all the things I wanted, I wanted, I wanted. It was a lovely dream, said God. Why didn't you give me those things, asked the man. I could have, said God, but I wanted to surprise you with things you didn't dream of. I suppose you've noticed what I've given you, a kind, K-I-N-D, a kind, beautiful wife, a good business, a nice place to live, three lovely daughters, one of the best packages I've ever put together. Yes, interrupted the man, but I thought you were going to give me what I really wanted. And this is God's reply. And I thought you were going to give me what I really wanted. What did you want, asked the man. It had never occurred to him that God was in want of anything. I wanted to make you happy with what I'd given you, said God. Now you keep that in your mind, brothers and sisters and friends of this Bible school. I wanted to make you happy 
with what I had given you, said God. The man lay in the dark all night, thinking. Finally, he decided to dream a new dream, one he wished he had dreamed years before. He decided to dream that what he wanted most of all were the things he already had. And the man got well, and he lived happily on the 47th floor, enjoying his children's beautiful voices, his wife's deep brown eyes, and her glorious painting of birds. And at night, he gazed at the ocean and contentedly watched the lights of the city twinkling on and on. Now there was an important word there that I wanted you to catch in that last paragraph. Contentedly. Contentedly. What does the word contented mean? It means to be satisfied with what one has. Is there a scripture that says this? I don't want you to look it up. It's Hebrews 13.5. Be content. Don't look it up. We don't have time. I'll tell you the ones to look up. I don't want Ray to drink my water. <laughs> Be content with things as you have. Be content with such things as you have. Contentment, that state of mind which considers the thing we have as adequate or sufficient. Now, I want you to think about this. I know there's lots of problems with the earth, pollution, politically, economically, but just think about this. Are we satisfied or content with the, this bountiful earth which God has created? And here's the clincher right here. Is this earth not an adequate place for the days of mine and your probation? Is it not an adequate place for you and I to work out the days of our probation, to work out our salvation? Yes, it is, brothers and sisters. Are we satisfied or content with our minds and bodies? And you just think about the mind and the body that each one of you have and what you can do with it. Are, you, are we satisfied or content with our minds and bodies which should be used in doing God's will? Are you using your mind and body to do God's will? God is taking out from the nations a people for his name. Unfortunately, the development of such a people requires trial, it requires hardship, and it requires chastening. Let's turn to 1 Peter 6 and 7, chapter 1. 1 Peter 1, verses 6 and 7.
Wherein you greatly rejoice. First Peter 1, verses 6 and 7. Wherein you greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, ye are in heaviness through many temptations, that the trial of your faith, being more precious than of gold that perishes, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Now let's go back just a few pages to Hebrews 12. Hebrews 12, verse 5. And ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto, unto children. My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. Look at verse 6. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. Verse 7. If ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the Father chasteneth not? But if ye be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers. Brothers and sisters, we're going to have some chastening in our lives. Question. Is there such a thing as, a, as contentment or satisfaction in submitting ourselves to these trials, hardships, and chastenings? This is important during the days of our probation. Is there such a thing as contentment or satisfaction in submitting ourselves to these trials, hardships, and chastenings. To let the Lord work out his will in us. Job 23, 10 through 12. Job 23, 10 through 12. But he knoweth the way that I take. When he hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold. My foot hath held his steps. His way have I kept and not declined. Neither have I gone back from the commandment of his lips. I have esteemed the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. Let's turn to 1 Timothy, the 6th chapter. 1 3. First Timothy 6, verse 3. If any man teach otherwise and consent not to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which is according to godliness, he is proud, 
knowing nothing and doting about questions and strifes of words whereof cometh envy, strife, railings, evil surmisings, perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds and destitute of the truth. And pay close attention to this next phrase. Supposing that gain is godliness, from such withdraw thyself. But look at verse look at this verse six. But godliness with contentment is great gain. Godliness with contentment is great gain. And what is godliness? It's the actual expression in our daily life of the worship and honor due to God. That's to do that daily. Now, I'm going to ask you another question to think about. Can there be such a thing as contentment, satisfaction, happiness, blessedness in the daily life of those individuals who choose and strive to be godly in opposition to that life which is worldly. It must be possible because what did Paul say in 1 Timothy 6, verse 6? Godliness with contentment is great gain. This godliness with contentment can only be accomplished by knowing, by comprehending, by applying, and by keeping the doctrine of the apostles, which is the doctrine or teachings of Christ, which is the doctrine or teaching or the Word of God. Let's go to Acts 2.42. <clears throat> Acts 2.42 And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. They continued steadfastly. Okay, now let's go back over to 1 Timothy chapter 4. Verse 12. go along with what Brother David Taggart said the other night. Look at verse 12. Let no man despise thy youth, your middle-aged, or your elderly years, but be thou in an example of the believers in word, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, in purity. Till I come, give attendance to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine, Meditate upon these things, and look at this. Give thyself wholly to them, 
that thy, that thy profiting may appear to all. Give thyself wholly to them. Verse 16. Take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine. Continue in them, for in doing this thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. Now let's skip over to 2 Timothy chapter 3. verse 10 and verse 14. This is Paul speaking to, to uh, Timothy, and he says, Thou hast fully known my doctrine, my manner of life, my purpose, faith, long-suffering, charity, patience. And look at 14. Continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. And let's turn back to John 15, 15. John fifteen fifteen. Henceforth I call John fifteen fifteen. Henceforth I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth. But I have called you friends. And look at this. For all things that have that I have heard of my Father, I have made known unto you. To know, to apply, and to keep the Word of God, it is going to take great individual effort on our part. Great individual effort. First Corinthians nine twenty seven. Let's look at that. But I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means, when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. But I keep under my body and bring it into subjection. Brothers and sisters and friends, we must get control of ourselves if we don't we and many of those around us suffer the consequences. It's going to take some effort on our part. It's going to take knowledge, and it's going to take application, and to do this requires effort. God's called out ones are the ecclesia. We know this. They are the body of Christ. And the development of this body is so important that God has not left its development or guidance to man. 
God has given us a plan whereby we individually and collectively accomplish his will. Much of the work and writings of Paul had to do with what? Ecclesial order. And that's why we're having so many problems in 1993. There's many, many differences among uh, brothers and sisters and ecclesias on ecclesial order, how things should be taken care of and handled in ecclesias. We must find out how God wants his ecclesia to be and how he wants it to function. And this information is all given to us right here. And it's our individual responsibility to look into Paul's writing and find out what is required of us on an ecclesial basis and as brothers and sisters in an ecclesia. And in doing this, there's something that we must always remember. And that is this. And that's why we have so many problems. And we've got to remember this about not only our brothers and sisters, but also ourselves. And Brother, uh, Brother Jay will be getting into this this week, so I'm just going to touch on it. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Don't ever forget that. That's Jeremiah 17, 9. And Genesis 8, 21. The imaginations of a man's heart is evil from his youth. The imagination of a man's heart is evil from his youth. Now let's look up Proverbs 19.21. We need to look at this. There are many devices in a man's heart. There are many devices in a man's heart. But look at that next phrase. Nevertheless, the counsel of the Lord, that shall, that shall stand. We need to find out what the counsel of the Lord is in regard to what we do and what we say and how we uh, operate our ecclesias. In Hebrews 13.9, we don't need to look it up, we're commanded to not be carried away with strange doctrine. <clears throat> Men and women are prone to mistake the false for the true. We need to realize that. Men and women are prone to mistake the false for the true. And it takes time, it takes labor or effort, it takes patience, and it takes love to correct the false and implement the true. And the older I get, the more I see how much patience and love it takes to do this, and it makes me respect more and more uh, Moses and Jesus Christ 
and it makes me uh, it causes greater love in my heart for God because he is so merciful and he is so patient and he is so long-suffering with us and uh, we ought to be the same way with our brothers and sisters don't ever forget that we're prone to mistake the false for the true and it takes labor and time and patience and love to correct the false and implement the truth. Now, brothers and sisters, you're probably saying, well, Ernie, you're just getting liberal. No, I don't think I am. I think we need to hold fast to the truth. But I tell you what, when I stand before Jesus Christ, I hope he doesn't say, well, Ernie, you put a barrier in front of some brothers and sisters you you put a stumbling block where they weren't able to overcome the sin and error and the mistakes that they made in their lives we need to be careful we need to be patient and loving and we we certainly need to try to correct error and I certainly believe in trying to implement the truth and there's something else we need to remember brothers and sisters and that's this truth Real truth has already been implemented. It was implemented by the prophets of old. It was implemented by Jesus Christ. And it was implemented by the apostles. And don't ever forget this. Except for a few out of every dispensation, men and women always turn away from the truth. The majority of men and women are going to go the way of error. That's the truth. But let's, let's, let's be positive. Let's go to Romans, the first chapter. Verses 16 and 17. lots of negativism there's lots of uh, lots of negative brothers and sisters and I think there's a lot of negative pleasures Romans 1 16 and 17 for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth to the Jew first and also to the Greek for therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith as it is written, the just shall live by faith. And scoot over to chapter 6, verse 17 and 18. But God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin. But ye have, and that's a good, ye were the servants of sin, but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you being then made free from sin ye became the servants of righteousness now there's some positive things in this uh, in this book of Romans it proves that men and women obeyed the doctrine of the apostles in their day and I'll tell you something else too brothers and sisters there's men and women today that still obey this same doctrine. And I'm going to tell you what. 
That causes, you remember that word contented that I read in that parable? That man went back home and he was contented. The fact that there's men and women today that's still holding fast to the doctrine of the apostles, it causes joy and it causes contentment in my heart and it doesn't matter that it's only a few. Until Jesus returns, there's going to be brothers and sisters whose lives will be taken up by contention, by arguments, by falsehoods, and by material gain. Now you think about that. And I tell you what, I came into the Christadelphian community from Christendom, and I have never seen such spiritually sound brothers and sisters be so affected by unstable busybodies as the Christadelphian community is. And I guess the reason that you're so patient with these brothers and sisters is that you hope that possibly they'll overcome it. That's the only thing I can figure out. But I've never seen a community that is so spiritually sound to be, be so affected by unstable busybodies. But we are. Until Jesus returns, there will be brothers and sisters whose lives will be taken up by contention, by arguments, by falsehoods, and material gain. And there's many, many brothers and sisters that uh, are really having a problem with this material gain. And what happens when, when these type of things take over? What happens? There's no time left for godliness. If you're always arguing and gossiping and involved with the material things of the world, you're not going to have any time with developing godliness in yourself or your brothers and sisters. Now, how should the body of Christ contend with such members? The answer is godliness. Godliness which edifies. It's right worship on a daily basis. Right worship on a daily basis. And what is that? That's every day, whether you're at home, whether you're at work, whether you're with friends, or whether you're at the ecclesia, you have got to concentrate on a godly thoughts or godly thinking, a godly attitude, godly works, and godly deeds. That's the secret to it. And as I said a while ago, it's going to take knowledge, it's going to take application, and it's going to take effort. 1 Timothy 6, 11. Timothy 6.11 O man of God follow after righteousness, godliness faith, love patience, meekness 
There's not any gossiping listed there. There's not any arguments listed there. And there's not anything mentioned about material gain. Brothers and sisters, our community is too wrapped up in uh, material gain for a wealth purpose, our financial portfolios, or the material things that we can buy, or entertainment. And it's, it's running our community. We don't have time for godliness, and it's, it's sad. Godliness which edifies cannot be accomplished without daily adherence to those doctrines or teachings given by Jesus and the apostles. And you know, it, it upsets brothers and sisters when you, when you mention the things that I've just said, that they're spending their time and money on too many other things. You know, our money is, is, our money is to be used uh, for God's purpose, just like our time and our bodies. But let's be positive. We must remember God's plan and purpose for this earth and man. We've got to remember that. We must remember what God has accomplished by the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus and what he will accomplish in the future. We must learn, remember, implement, and adhere, adhere to those daily rules that the apostle gave. Now listen to this. Those daily rules, they're in here. And it, it's hard to study them out. I think Brother Jay's going to get into this. The Apostle Paul gave us the rules that, in, that will enable the ecclesia to overcome sin both from within and from without. And what we do, we've got to find out what those rules are and we've got to apply them. Now, brothers and sisters, listen to this. How do you feel when you consider God's plan and purpose for man in this earth? How do you feel? Are you dissatisfied? Are you upset? How do, how do you feel when you assist a fellow being learn about this plan and purpose? Are you upset? Are you discouraged? Are you dissatisfied? And what about this? How do you feel when you support or help a brother or sister? Are you discontented then? Are you dissatisfied? Does it upset you when you help or support a brother or sister? I have never seen so many dissatisfied and unhappy Christadelphians as I have in the last couple of years. How do you feel when you replace a sinful deed with a godly deed? I feel good if I overcome a sin, don't you? And how do you feel when our young people, even in 1993, begin making godly decisions? We've got young people making godly decisions. I see them in our ecclesias. I see them at Bible schools. Yes, brothers and sisters, godliness with contentment is great gain. Now, I want to go back to that parable I read earlier. I imagine you're wondering, why on earth did this guy... This brother, get up here and read this parable. Okay, now listen. <clears throat> then one night, when everyone except the nurses had gone home, the man said to God, 
Remember when I was a boy and I told you all the things I wanted? It was a lovely dream, said God. Why didn't you give me those things? Asked the man. I could have, said God, but I wanted to surprise you with things you didn't dream of. I suppose you noticed what I'd given you, a kind, beautiful wife, a good business, a nice place to live, three lovely daughters, one of the best packages I put together. Yes, interrupted the man, but I thought you were going to give me what I really wanted. And God said, and I thought you were going to give me what I really wanted. What did you want, asked the man. It had never occurred to him that God was in want of anything. Now here's the key phrase, brothers and sisters, and I hope you get it. I wanted to make you happy. And what's a sentiment for happy? It's blessed. I wanted to make you happy with what I had given you, said God. Now, brothers and sisters, the conclusions. To be a son or daughter of God, to be his servants, the brothers and sisters of Jesus Christ, is the best life to live because it yields a conscience void of offense. We have a covering, Jesus Christ. A real inward satisfaction which is not to be compared with the fleeting pleasures of this world. But when we consider that beyond the happiness which a righteous life enjoys now, it yields a glorious and everlasting hereafter. Through disobedience of God's commandments, our first parents brought sin and death upon themselves and mortality and the propensity to sin upon us. We have no power to remedy this. We have no power to remedy this, remedy this and therefore, but for some act of God, we should be doomed with the rest of men to die and decay. Moreover, because of the corruption of our lives, we cannot of ourselves approach to God. Because of the corruption of our lives, we cannot of ourselves approach to God. Yet God in His love, God in His love has been pleased to make possible our approach to Him, our salvation from sin, and our redemption from death. He foretold this through the words of his prophets and anticipated it in the provisions of sacrifice and mediation among the Jews. In fullness of time, Jesus came, the Son of God, by operation of the Spirit of man by Mary his mother, under the same inclinations to self-seeking as ourselves, he not only lived spotlessly, but sought the will of God unfailingly throughout his life and fulfilled it in his death. By this means he displayed before men both the course which the Father has taken for our salvation and the kind of life which, with which God is well pleased. Righteousness having been displayed, 
the just condemnation of sin and flesh shone forth, Jesus was justly exalted to everlasting life and glorified at the right hand of God. Because of what he did, God is pleased upon our recognition of it to admit us to the hope of life. This we do in repentance, which means turning away from our self, former self-directed lives and renouncing their allegiance to sin and turning towards God in trust. We signify this by obeying his command to be baptized, which is therefore fittingly presented as the death of the old man, the servant of sin, and the resurrection of a new, the servant of God. We must then put away our old manner of life, continually recalling in the breaking of bread how we are redeemed, and by patient continuance, suffer the word of exhortation, by patient continuance in well-doing, seek for glory, honor, and immortality. God is ready to be approached through, for, through Jesus for forgiveness of our unwilling sins and grace to help in time of need. Did you hear that, brothers and sisters? Did you hear that? It's actually true. God is ready to be approached through Jesus for forgiveness of our unwilling sins and grace to help in time of need. And that's after we're baptized. Isn't that wonderful? He will forgive us of our sins and shortcomings. It's wonderful. Our hope lies in the resurrection of Jesus. As God, on account of the work he did, raised him to everlasting glory, so will he at his return accomplish the resurrection of his brothers and sisters and cause the faithful among them to share his glory in the kingdom that he will establish. God's plan of salvation is infinitely complete. He has met every need of fallen man. Do we realize that? Do you and I actually believe that? I do. His plan of salvation is complete. He has met every need of fallen man. And brothers and sisters, you and I ought to be content we ought to be satisfied, and we ought to be delighted with his plan and purpose. And i tell you something else we ought to do. We ought to devote our lives to its accomplishment. Let's turn to Psalms 1. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But look at verse 2. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, 
and in his law doth he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. The ungodly are not sold, but are like the chaff which the wind driveth away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. We ought to be content, satisfied, and delighted with God's plan and purpose, devoting our lives to its accomplishment.